You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 47, Speaking Tigrinha, French, and Portuguese. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. This week, I'm joined by Desta, the founder of Languages Through Music, to talk about her language journey through so many languages that I couldn't even fit them all in the title. While Desta has studied and spoken and taught different languages in her lifetime, in this episode, we talk mainly about speaking Tigrinha, French, and Portuguese. I love this conversation because, as I'm sure you all know by now, this show celebrates not just language, but culture as well. So I had a chance to talk with Desta about living in different parts of the world and learning new languages in new places. We talk about taking culture with us as we move through the world, and Desta tells us some of her experience she's had while learning Portuguese when living in Rio and taking part in the big family dynamic while living in Jordan. She also tells what her experience has been like learning Tigrinha and how learning to speak this language has truly become a part of her life. Big thank you to Desta for having this conversation with me. I loved taking this trip around the globe and learning bits and pieces of your story and your travels and your heritage. As always, if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to rate and review the Speaking Tongues podcasts on Apple Podcasts so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I am here with Desta. How are you, Desta? I'm good. Thank you, Elle. How are you? I'm fantastic. And I'm so excited to talk to you about all the languages you speak and all the places you've been around the world. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, I'm honored. I'm honored that you have the time and I know you're really busy. So I uh, will do my best to make use of, of your time in this hour or so that we're going to chat. Um, yeah, is mine. <laughs> I like to start each episode with the same question. And that is, what is your first language and how many languages do you speak? My first language is English really because that's the main family language but I was born in Thailand I up until three or four years old when we then left for Barbados Mm -hmm. and how many languages I speak well English I speak French and Portuguese fluently and I speak kind of intermediate Dutch and Spanish, and then basic Turkish, Tigrinya, bit of Arabic. I take about 30-something language lessons a month, so I'm always trying to get better. And there are some languages I understand or took lessons in, but don't really feel confident speaking. So, yeah, I guess about six or seven-ish. That's so impressive. So when you were... uh... You were living in Thailand, and you said you speak like baby Thai. Did you go to school in Thailand at all? I did, kind of like pre-pre-K, and I had a nanny's Thai, and then my sister and my mom spoke Thai. 
Um, so yeah, Thai was definitely a starter, a starter language. Language. What was your experience like uh, learning other languages in school? Which languages were you exposed to or which ones did you have to take and which ones did you elect to take in school, if any? They thought it would be better if I stuck to one language in school. So I took French. So after Barbados, we moved to France for a short while so my parents could learn French. And then we moved to Ivory Coast. Um, so I started really when I was about six years old with French and continued it through high school. And I have to say, I didn't really enjoy how French was at school anywhere. But I had a really horrific teacher called Madame Camus. She still haunts my memories. Oh. Um, <laughs> when I was little, she was really mean. She was terrible. She was one of these really scary teachers who'd make you write you know, 50 lines of nonsense out to punish you for no reason. Mm. Um, so I have to say, I really didn't enjoy languages until I was, yeah, 16, 17, because I thought it was always really boring at school, always focused on France and not any of the other 28 countries that speak it. Right. Um, and yeah, it just... I don't remember any joy in language classes at school. I think maybe that's why I wanted to teach languages and inject some joy <laughs> into it uh, because I wasn't feeling it until, until I kind of made it my own mm -hmm. and started teaching myself through music, making friends uh, who only spoke a certain language or through my music work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was that like when you started to learn other languages for yourself outside of that classroom, um, outside of that classroom environment? What was like at that point when you were just like, oh, I hate languages. I'm not really into this because of this experience. Like what made you move forward and want to try new languages with a different approach? I guess um, it was, I remember really hearing some music I loved when I was about 16. It was this French hip hop group um, all from all over the, the Caribbean, French speaking Caribbean and, and Africa and, and they're called Cyan Super Crew. Mm. And I just loved their song so much. So when a friend started helping me kind of go through the lyrics and translate them, and I could sing along with them. I think that was a big click for me. Mm -hmm. And also seeing how fun and easy language learning could be. Um, then when I moved to Brazil and diving into the culture and then being really conversational really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that made me kind of really start to enjoy language learning. Right. And feel like I wanted to make up for all the time wasted at school. <laughs> I think if, you know, languages were taught in a nice way at school, we could all come out speaking three languages at 18, you know? Yeah. Because it isn't because we have multilingual family or travel opportunities that we necessarily connect with the language. Um, you know, if we're lucky, we do. But I think we spend most of our time at school that's where we really need to make sure it's, it's it's a fertile learning ground you know instead of exams and quizzes and this kind of 
nonsense way of learning it. For yeah. me, it didn't work. And for lots of people I speak to, they also, you know, spent 12 la- years on a language and it wasn't working. So, Isn't it so weird? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of people now are realizing how that system has failed all of us. And what took us also money back is awful (laughs) it's completely awful yeah like what took us so long to realize that this wasn't working and I really applaud so many teachers like yourself who are you know trying to engage their students in better ways and try to prove like hey guys it's not really as bad as it was when you were in junior high school yeah it makes me sad because you know so many people I meet or you know friends like oh I'm just not a language person or you know I'm really bad at languages and most of the time they think that because they were made to feel that way at school Mm -hmm. and they weren't given the kind of support or you know empowered to see that you can actually teach yourself you know to a great extent with apps film when you were growing up, was your was your home with your family were were you multi, were you a multilingual family? Well, English was the common language, so even though my parents and my sister spoke other languages, mm-hmm. um, and we lived in different places, English was the language at home. Okay. Um, where in your community outside of your home did you see representations of your culture and I guess the languages that um, your 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 family spoke? Mm. Oh, let me think. My family's English and Eritrean and Thai. So sometimes there was an Eritrean community or Ethiopian community. So with Tigrinya and Amharic, there's the same alphabet and some same words, but they're different languages. So I remember in in Abidjan and Ivory Coast, there was a small. Um, in Jordan, there was an Eritrean community. In London, of course, huge Eritrean community mm. and lots of Thai people. Um, yeah, I haven't. I've haven't only spent kind of summer holidays there um and then Thai I started again this year because I thought during lockdown it would be cool to pick up after so long because you know I get to every time I go back there in the airport people look at me not looking Thai and they go you were born here I'm like yeah like you speak Thai I'm like "Mm, no I forgot it sorry so I thought it would be good to 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 reclaim it so I've been taking a couple lessons since May I have a really lovely teacher oh and I guess you know you've you've lived all over the world and you've experienced a lot of different cultures and languages um what was your experience like being around so many diverse languages and learning I guess as you're growing up learning to communicate in different ways um you know moving around when you were a child I I don't have any comparison, you know, since my mode was always moving around all the time, I don't know what it was like to not Mm -hmm. have moved around all the time. So for me, I guess 
my default setting just became observant mm. and um, trying to listen well and kind of always always being sure I didn't know much you know what I mean when you're always kind of like a new person somewhere you're always like ah oh, cool like it's you just always open I guess I grew up knowing how different it is everywhere and how differently everybody mm-hmm. communicates I mean there are lots of important overlaps so I guess it just made me keep an open mind and an open heart and yeah and try and you know try and communicate as Mm-hmm. and not to uh not to judge or interpret anything too quickly if i didn't understand it so not to make assumptions i guess yeah yeah not to make assumptions i Just, think uh, more yeah. people could benefit from that type of understanding of how people really operate and just because I think once you have that experience, you can't help but to move through life in that way, right? Like open-minded, open-hearted, um, an understanding of of differences, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I've met people who've traveled a ton who are super closed-minded. And then I also met people who've never traveled or traveled, you know, to one country who are super open-minded. So I think it's you know, people turn out either way, but it definitely helps. It definitely makes all the moving easier. I think it would have been been impossible if I had, you know, been clinging to a certain mode or way or, well, I couldn't, I had nothing to cling to. Like all of my, you know, each member immediate family was so different uh, from each other. my an, an English mother, an Eritrean father, and a and a Thai sister. So it was really kind of my whole, all the planets in my little f- personal universe were so different. Yeah. Um. I just got used to yeah switching it up. I didn't really appreciate it at the time. It just was you know what it was. But now yeah I do I do I guess it's made me a interested in so many different cultures and languages that's really what I enjoy like I'm I'm really interested in a lot of well like every culture around the world because Mm -hmm. um I don't know why like people will ask me like not why are you like this but (laughs) people will I get asked that all the time (laughs) why are you like this (laughs) so like well why do you why are you so interested in you know something you know on the opposite end of the world is where you live and everything you know and especially me because I live in New York City and I feel like people think that New Yorkers the world revolves around New York City right Mm. which it does but (laughs) Uh, Londoners might disagree (laughs) that's true I I think that that's just a big city problem like we all think the world revolves around our city but um I've always just, you know, I I was born and raised here, but I've always been so interested in what other people are doing in other parts of the world. And a lot of people around me are not, 
Mm. Like a lot of people just, I don't want to say they don't care, but I think that they don't think about it as much as I do. Like I'm always just thinking like, what are people doing in Botswana right now? (laughs) (laughs) Like in Jakarta today. And just Mm. like, these are just constant thoughts that I have. And I'm always so interested in culture and language is a part of that too. Um, for me, but, um, I, I don't, I don't think that I've had an opportunity to study as many languages as I wish that I had, mm-hmm. um, to like a effective level. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what are some of the things that you've encountered around the world that have surprised you or things that have stayed with you as you've, um, experienced more of the world as you've, as you've grown, as you've, um, you know, as you, as you go about your life? Things that have surprised me. Things that have surprised you that you've encountered, um, about language and heritage or any things that, any things that you've kept with you in your life, like any customs or any habits, or is there like a Mm -hmm. phrase that you've always heard when you were living in one place that you just, you know, always keep in your mind. I'm always curious about the parts of traveling and the parts of culture that we, we keep it with us, mm. you know, as we move through the world. I, I don't think that traveling or living someplace is, is such a solitary experience that none of that residual um, good time doesn't stay with us or rub off on us in some way. Yeah. I mean, definitely every, I guess place leaves an imprint somewhere than others. It's funny, it wasn't until I moved to London in 2012 that people started asking if I was from Barbados. Really? And yeah, I found that really funny because I never thought about it. But when I moved to London, people were like, oh, you have a Bajan accent. And no one had ever told me that or no one had never even thought about that. Um, so I guess, I guess some people at least people in London think I have some remnant of learning English in Barbados which is fine by me I love the accent I wish I had a thick Bajan accent (laughs) I really love love it um I'm a fan of the Bajan accent too it's the best accent in the world you know what this online movie platform called online well it started as Cinewax Mm. and now I think it's called online Africa Film Festival and I watched a film the other day on Errol Barrow who was the leader of Barbados and uh, he dated Nina Simone which I didn't know Hmm. Um, but yeah it was just nice to get a blast of Bajan accents this week (laughs) through the film. Um, I guess customs that travel with me are in Thailand there's a kind of tradition of having you know you have your there's a lot of kind of ancestor worship or you know they have a lot of old Thai houses have rooms that are just photos of the family and incense and prayers and meditation space and so I guess I like setting up a little spirit house in if you in Thailand you see these houses outside in the yard that are much smaller and they're for the spirits of the house Mm. so I really like that tradition of kind of maintaining a space to honor your your spirits and your family and I really like that from Thailand uh, a custom I really like from Abisha from Eritrean Ethiopian culture is 
incense so it's traditional to burn incense at home mm. so when I'm traveling I always take incense wherever I go because um, as soon as I light up I feel like I'm home is there a specific sense uh yeah frankincense so like the kind of resin you know the proper kind of it's like milky white resin and you put it on charcoal mm-hmm. so frankincense little rocks of frankincense hmm, some something a kind of custom or tradition or part of culture that made a big imprint on me growing up I think was living in Jordan mm-hmm. um, between 913 and I think just generally the the generosity and hospitality of Jordanian but Arab culture in general I don't think as I've ever seen kind of surpassed mm-hmm. I have a big extended family with my Eritrean cousins but I grew up in a in a small you know kind of four-person family set up mm-hmm. um, so to make friends who had houses full of aunties and uncles and grandmas and and you know it was just like my best friends in Jordan I could go to their house at any time without calling and you know it didn't even matter if they were there because if they weren't there I'd kick it with their aunties and I'd get fed and we'd watch tv and and you know just I kind of spent so much probably more time at their house than my house and yeah this kind of really warm loud loving uh feeding culture i think is something that i really really loved um this kind of gathering of family and friends which is a big part of Eritrean culture but um yeah i really experienced that in in jordan through my best friends families is you know always enough food for at least 20 people at any meal time <laughs> like yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, that's a, a, a part of culture I really, growing up, that really I love. I love the warmth and uh, the sharing of it. Yeah, yeah. I I think that that's one thing that I love about um, spending time with with friends who, excuse me, friends and their families who are from cultures other than mine because my like like you it was just four of us um Mm. in my immediate family so we did things on a very small scale I don't think we've ever had 20 people in Mm -hmm. our in our home and and we never always had enough for you know to feed all of those people if they were Mm. so it's just kind of like one of the things that like I dream about is like I'm gonna make friends and like you know, the Mediterranean region, Middle Eastern region, and I'm going to get invited to dinner. I'm going to get invited to lunch because I want to experience this so much. Like I, just for not ever having that, you know, you always want what you don't have in a way. It's so nice. Like after I left Jordan when I was 14 and then I moved to England and I felt like such a fish out of water, even though I'm technically British. Mm-hmm. you know in Jordan people will physically fight you if you try and pick up the bill you know <laughs> and then you know you get I moved to England it was like okay you pay 250 you pay one you know <laughs> three point is that you know so it's just like a very different mentality and it's yeah it's rare to be invited around to someone's house and or to have people over and cook for a bunch of people like I really love that 
Um, but but yeah, I mean, you carry it, you make it happen anyway, but it's nice to be in a setting where everyone's doing that. I love that you just go around to a friend's house and kick it. And, and uh, whereas in, in the UK or in Europe, I don't know in the States, but it's, it's a little less common than it is in some, some other places. Yeah, it's less common here unless it's like a big occasion, like a graduation or a wedding or um, a retirement party. I don't know why those are the examples. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, it's just a sign that we need to make more big occasions. And if there's anything 2020 has taught us is that it's we should make everything a big occasion. <laughs> Absolutely. When you moved to Brazil, mm-hmm. had you had you any knowledge of Portuguese before you moved there? No, not really. I spoke some French and I had, you know, which helps with with other familiar languages. Um I'd I think I may have taken like a couple week class or gotten some learn Portuguese books, but no, really. And the first went there, I had really no clue. How did you, how did you, how were you able to navigate that? Well, I was very lucky to have two amazing flatmates from, from different parts of Brazil. And one spoke super fast (laughs) and one spoke super slow. So he was from the north of Brazil, from Belém, and apparently in Belém, people speak really a lot slower. And the other one was from the more the interior, uh, Minas. And she talked to me like this. So I had like a really great school mm-hmm. um, at home, and uh, I I started getting into. Well, I love the music. And so it was really easy to dive into the music. And in Brazil, when you look up a song, you, it immediately gives you the the, the lyrics as well. Mm. And also, I was I found a job pretty quickly teaching English, cool, and French. And I volunteered. I'm really interested in this Brazilian theater form called Theater of the Oppressed. Hmm. And so I, I wrangled a volunteer internship with them. And so, yeah, in theater, you can't really get around not communicating. So it was, the first month, I think, was stressful. There were tears. <laughs> I would come home <laughs> crying sometimes because, you know, a whole day surrounded in a language you don't speak, it can be exhausting. And I, I remember watching lots of films. Brazilian cinema is also amazing. So I was watching lots of films with the subtitles Portuguese. It was really full on, just a full on Brazilian baptism. So that's how I got into Portuguese, really. And I think the culture there is so nice and appreciative of anyone trying to learn, you know, French. I'm very happy I speak it now. But still, if I make a, a le versus la mistake in the post office, you know, I'll get told about myself <laughs> in public it, at high volume. But in Brazil, 
when you know you speak two words it's like oh my gosh you're a genius para base congratulations you know they really they really make you want to learn it so yeah that was my experience in brazil i really i think that's one of the best moves i made my whole life oh my gosh and you were in rio mm -hmm. how much do you love the culture in rio about a thousand out of a hundred <laughs> just sign me up and it was really nice for me too because coming from my mix-up mix-up moving around upbringing um not really being fully from anywhere it was the first time in my life people would walk up to me for directions on the street instead of my brazilian friend i was standing next to or you know people would just be shocked if i told them i wasn't from brazil mm. uh, so that was a really nice feeling i'd never had that yeah oh i love that for you yeah i love that for me too why did i leave yeah no it's really nice it was really nice it was really cool and it's given me so much uh joy since because i've been able to teach portuguese um you know i've been able to yeah just still really immerse myself in the films and the music and it's just a culture i really have a lot of love for yeah for sure i am dying to go to rio it's pretty fantastic does it when you so when you moved there did it was it everything you thought it would be or was it different completely different from what you thought it would be I guess I've I've read quite a bit about it before I went. Um, there's a great writer called Rui Castro, and he has a book on Rio, which I love. And uh, yeah, it was it was wonderful for people who live there. Something that can really wear them down, you know, this kind of constant vigilance mm -hmm. you have to have, and police brutality there is mad, and you know there is a lot of wonderful visually but socioeconomically there's the same racist structures and systematic oppression as anywhere else you know it's it's like with any place that's beautiful i think it's easy for someone like me to say oh wow i really want to go there it looks so beautiful and you know the weather and the beaches and the blah 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 but i always remember someone saying like about the caribbean like this is your paradise, but I live here. So, mm. You know, just be mindful of that. And yeah, definitely. Um, There's a great film on Netflix um, by a rapper called Emicida. Mm. I watched it last night. He's from Sao Paulo. And it's brilliant because, I mean, I already liked his music a lot. But the film packs in so much of Brazilian musical history, especially samba. Uh, samba and hip-hop in Brazil but also so so much of the social justice history in Brazil mm -hmm. um, it's it's mind-blowing and it's beautifully done so yeah anybody interested in kind of Brazilian especially black Brazilian Afro-Brazilian like culture uh, pioneers music architects social justice law i mean it just he put 
so much into the film. It's really beautiful. I gotta check it out. I'll see if we have it in here in the US. Yeah, it's on I saw Netflix and it's called Amarelu. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. <laughs> yeah, really brilliant. Like nowhere's perfect, but Brazil has a lot of great great things, great people. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about um well, I've heard you talk about learning Tringia before. Um, yeah, Tigrinya, it's a nightmare. I love it, but it's a nightmare. <laughs> well, that was my question. I was going to ask you, um, I was going to first say that I've heard you talk about it um, at the Sisters Only Language Summit. I've heard you talk about it at Women in Language. Um, but I'm curious to know, well, you just let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> but how has the process been for you? Um, and how have you been able to connect to your heritage through this language? The process has been arduous and hellish <laughs> and uh, very, very difficult. Um, I guess because I'll give, I'll give my father a, a pass. I guess because we were moving around to so many different countries and not all of them had a big community, it was difficult to teach me when I was little. Mm -hmm. um, so it was something I ended up really getting serious about as an adult. So the process has been, I've met some wonderful people. Um, my the teacher I found in London who he just recently passed away a couple months ago oh no he was he was one of my favorite people of life so I found a really wonderful teacher I met some wonderful people who were studying with me like including some brilliant writers and and music heads and yeah so I've made definitely made friends um I had a wonderful teacher in Uncle B, I called him. Um, I have a great teacher now who I found on italki. And my family and friends always help me out. Um, I think with Tigrinya, it's interesting because, because Eritrea has this long kind of complicated history with war and with Ethiopia. You have this interesting kind of levels to it. So people who actually learned it there or people who learned it as refugees outside or people who learned it from the parents or people who lost it, you know, people who spoke it and then lost it. So they might speak Sigrinia but have never been to Eritrea. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess it's been tough because the language is not easy, but yeah, I would, it's, it's the priority to speak Tigrinya well. My, my dad was a writer as well. He's a famous poet in Eritrea. So I feel like there's also that extra pressure to come correct. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's something I regret that I didn't start earlier or have earlier. Um, but yeah, and most of my family live in the States. So even when I'm with them and visiting them, um, their kids speak better English often. Mm. So yeah, I think it's really important to maintain family languages whenever possible. And families, you know, just want their kids to learn English as well as they can mm -hmm. and don't worry about the the family language. But mm -hmm. I really 
yeah, if there's one thing I could change about my my upbringing, it would be that that I had it from much earlier. Yeah. What what particularly is giving you the trouble with the language? Is it the pronunciation? Is it grammar? Is it vocabulary? Of like, I feel like I should already speak it perfectly. And my dad's a famous poet. I think that adds pressure. <laughs> um, but I get, I think my, everyone tells me my accent's good. And I think that's because I, I was exposed to Arabic from a young age. Um, it's a Semitic language. So mainly because the grammar is pretty intense. Mm. There's like a million ways to say you. Um, the And it's hard to get kind of clear explanations, I feel, mm-hmm. um, on certain things. But it's just practice. It's probably one of the more difficult languages I've studied, if not the most. And your teachers are helping you, so you you have plenty of opportunity to make conversation, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess all my family and friends, almost all of them speak better English than I speak Tigrinya, so we almost always end up speaking more English. So, yeah, it's it's about being disciplined, I guess, and making that practice time and then also when I'm with my teacher I want to practice more on reading because I want my reading to be faster Mm. and so then I can read a page to her but then when I have to kind of spontaneously chat I find that harder right right yeah like hard to express yourself Mm -hmm. on like when you're when you're not anticipating what someone's going to ask you is that yeah 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 that's the issue i have with french too it's like mm. i get it i don't need to go back to a beginner level but if someone approached me on the street and just asked me something i wasn't expecting yeah I- <laughs> uh <laughs> rewind please <laughs> how long have it how long have you been learn like when did you start learning tigrinya um, I think really as a kid, because my dad would say some, you know, chat sometimes. Um, but I think really seriously trying to learn and read and everything. Um, probably like when I moved to London in 2012. Okay. Yeah. So probably that's when I started being more serious about kind of reading, writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're invested. I'm invested. I'm in it for the long run. I've already figured out that, you know, Tigrinya is just going to thrash me even Mm -hmm. if I study it for like another 30 years. So I'm just accepting that it's probably just going to be a lot more Mm -hmm. separation (laughs) until I can feel I speak it well. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, it's it's a lifelong relationship you're going to have with it, so... It is. I mean, all languages are. I think, you know, all these things on YouTube where it's like, learn this language in two minutes. I'm like, what's the point of that? Like, you never really stop learning anything. Yeah. So I, I, they never appeal to me, those ads. So I'm like, it's okay. I have, well, I shouldn't say this in 2020, but I still have time. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start making the connection between languages and music 
I guess, what were some of the pivotal moments when you um, started making that connection and wanted to start teaching languages in that way? For me, really, the first moment was when I was about 16 and I discovered music in French that I really liked. Mm -hmm. And then moving to Brazil, really being amazed by how through discovering Brazilian music I loved, I was able to learn Portuguese really quickly mm-hmm. and enjoyably. <laughs> um, and then I think a moment that really surprised me was when I had a gig doing backing vocals for a Turkish artist. Ooh. And I had to learn 20 songs in Turkish. <gasps> And I was just really stunned by how if you learn 20 songs in a language that actually gives you a whole lot more than 20 normal language classes. Mm -hmm. Because you have to wrap your head around the pronunciation, uh, the grammar, and really to be able to sing something well, you really need to understand what you're saying. Right, right. I mean, I have friends who can fake it beautifully. But for me, when I have a job and I have to do backing vocals or I really have to understand the words well enough, well, one, not to have to look at the words, you have to memorize it. Mm. And then, yeah, to know what emotion to put where. I had my first language to music course in London in 2014. So it's almost seven years that I've been running workshops or classes um, for languages to music. What are some of your methods and what are some of your students like? I guess, um, do you have students of all ages and, you know, what are some of their reasons for wanting to learn through music? Well, methods are really simple. So lots of kind of all based on songs, but really giving people keys to the songs before we listen while we listen um really focusing on key phrases keywords and I'm a very visual learner so you know I need lots of colors and pictures I need to watch the music video uh, I need a playlist because audio really helps me learn so yeah I guess I try and make the experience kind of really a surround sound situation mm-hmm um, and also I try and take all the stress out of language learning. Yeah. People, especially if they're coming to language learning fresh out of the bad memories of high school or uni, um, you know, they can feel a bit nervous about approaching a language or if it's their first language outside their mother tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try and make it the Madame Camus French classes were for me as a kid. <laughs> in Abidjan um what are some of my students like a huge range different ages some some are musicians or into music some have specifically come to me because they're not into music so I think it'll be some successful kind of shock Hmm. shock to the system um and also that they'll discover people that they've never heard of um I think a lot of the people that come to me have an interest in travel Mm-hmm. Um, because I really focus, I kind of try and take students to lots of different destinations in the classes. So, you know, if we're doing Portuguese, we'll do songs from 
from Brazil, but also Portugal and Angola and Mozambique and Cabo Verde. And, you know, <laughs> I really try and cover all the, all the places that um, the language is spoken. Mm-hmm. Before I forget, um, tell us where, you know, those of us who are listening, tell us where we can find you and uh, where we can find you online. And if anyone wants to reach out, where, what would be the best way for them to do so? Well, I am languages through music on everything, I think, or lang through moose on Twitter, but I don't use Twitter very much. But yeah, at languages through music, uh, it's for all my language music stuff and any music related stuff I usually put on Desta Haile on any platform. So yeah, I'm pretty, pretty responsive anywhere. So Instagram. Yeah, it's probably where I get a lot of messages um, or via the languages to music sites. But yeah, if you go to my, either of those, you'll find me. Awesome. I will add your information into the show notes as well. Thank you. Absolutely. And um, I'm so happy that you had time to have this conversation with me. And I really you and talking about your journey and your your journey around the world, your linguistic journey around the world. Um, thank you for sharing that with, with me and with all of my listeners. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Elle. Really, it's nice to be reminded of the travels considering I've been the hermit of all hermits for the past nine months. <laughs> I think that we can all... Um... Yeah, commiserate. <laughs> I have one more question. Um, sure. Last question that I ask at the end of every episode. Mm-hmm. Do you have any jokes, popular sayings, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or advice? And bear with me, because this is, a, this is a, a list you have. Any of those in French, Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, Turkish, Amharic, Tigrinya, Arabic, or Tagalog to share? let me think the first one that comes to mind i guess is just um brazilian slang i say and hear all the time so basically when something's cool the word is legal 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 and that literally means legal (laughs) so i always found it really funny when i moved there i was like legal 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 yeah, legal. Everybody says legal. I like that one. That's that's my favorite one. Um, there's also I don't I don't know if it's, this was part of the languages you named, but something that I can't get rid of. It's uh, from Amharic, and it's inde, 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 and it's a really multi-purpose word it can be used like when you're irritated with someone or you're like surprised or you're angered or you're like a friend's teasing you it depends it can be kind of different lengths different tones mm-hmm. um, and yeah my family use that a lot because a lot of my family speak Amharic and then the kids little kids pick it up so my little godson in Atlanta if he's irritated he'd be like with his little baby voice it's really funny it's really funny so those are the first two that come to mind 
Legal from Brazil, I use a lot. And then the multi-purpose Amharinha. I love it. There's a really great saying in Turkish that I can't, um, I can't I'll have to get back to you on it. Um, but it's it's a really funny saying. I think it must come from like ancient trade routes and stuff. But if someone thinks they're special, there's a saying and it's like, what do you think you are? A special Indian fabric? Huh. So it must have been <laughs> it must have been when special Indian fabric was the rage in Istanbul. Yeah. But um yeah, I have to look that one up. If you find it, let me know. Yeah, so those are those India is probably one of my most used words, sounds in life. I like that one. I like a I like a good like catch all phrase that um you know, kind of fits a number of different circumstances. It's yeah. Okay have in your pocket, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and some just always stay stay in your mind, mm-hmm. wh- whichever language you're you're using. Yeah. Well, Dusta, it's been a pleasure. Chat- For me too. I'm so happy to um, so happy to have had you share your experience and talk about languages through music with me and with my guests um in the first language that you can think of don't think too hard mm-hmm. what's the best way to say goodbye the best way to say goodbye Ooh. i kind of like in Portuguese, like when people say goodbye of which is like all good, like everything good, wishing you everything good. To the Jibon. To the Jibon? Yeah. To the Jibon, Desta? To the Jibon, amiga. Thank you so much for having me. Obrigada. And obrigada você. I'll be talking to you soon. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye.